It's Monday, May 31st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden continues to promote his infrastructure plan across the country. But behind the scenes, negotiations continue with not much progress. Senate Republicans offered a counterproposal that was just under $1 trillion, with money for more traditional projects and being paid for in part by using COVID relief funds. There is also still debate on the exact definition of infrastructure. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for infrastructure talks, immigration, and Biden calling for a COVID probe. Next, the coronavirus lab leak theory got extra attention last week as we found out that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology got sick in November of 2019, and they sought medical treatment at a hospital. Their symptoms were consistent with COVID and common seasonal illnesses. Also being talked about was an abandoned Chinese mine where people got sick after clearing bat guano. Scientists from the Wuhan Institute took samples and found several new coronaviruses in 2012. Ken Delanian, national security correspondent at NBC News, joins us for why calls to investigate the coronavirus origins have intensified. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We have stayed within the boundaries of our original um, plan. Uh, I think that's what the American people think of when they think of, in, uh, of infrastructure, and that's certainly what we do, too. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. We've seen President Biden hitting the road across the country, touting out his infrastructure plan. He's really trying to sell it. Uh, behind the scenes, negotiations have been going on between uh, Senate Republicans and Democrats. It hasn't really seemed to be going much anywhere. The original proposal was uh, somewhere in the $2.25 trillion range. The White House came back with something pared down to about $1.7 trillion, and uh, it still wasn't working out. So Republicans countered again. They have something that's just under $1 trillion, really focused on kind of that traditional meaning of infrastructure. So, Ginger, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing in that counterproposal from Senate Republicans. Yeah, you know, it has at times looked like negotiations on an infrastructure package were totally dead, but they're not quite dead. As you said, on Thursday, Senate Republicans made this counter offer that looked to be about a trillion dollars. But I think there's a, a key point here that we have to remember when we're looking at this Senate Republican proposal, and that's that it would include $257 billion in new spending. The rest of it is money that's already been approved by Congress, most of it in the COVID relief package, whereas Joe Biden's proposal is $1.7 trillion in new spending. So they're actually still pretty far apart. I mean, we're talking about one and a half trillion dollars apart in, in what their proposals are. And the other key here is what they're willing to spend that money on. So if they're they're saying they think they can spend this money, maybe they eventually get it at $920 billion new money, but it's $500 billion to rebuild roads, $98 billion for public transit systems, $72 billion for water infrastructure, and $56 billion for airports, among other sort of programs, including some money for broadband and some other infrastructure things. One of the key points with all of this is always how to pay for it. You know, uh, for the larger plan, Democrats would want to raise some taxes. In the Republican plan, they say, you know, we don't need to raise taxes. A lot of what we would do would be reallocating some of that COVID relief money. 
That's right. I mean, Republicans have just drawn a hard line. They are unwilling to support anything that raises taxes. And so that's why we see them moving that COVID money, that unused COVID money so far into these projects, because any proposal that raises taxes or that spends so much money that it would need a tax increase, they're opposed to. Whereas Joe Biden has said he wants to raise the corporate tax rate lower than what it was when Republicans lowered it in 2017, but higher than what it is now. And, you know, when we talk about the back and forth and the negotiations, I mean, it is uh, it does seem like things are, are, are at least happening. You know, the White House came out with a smaller plan. The Republicans are countering with their plan. So the negotiations are ongoing. But, you know, a lot of Democrats are getting frustrated and saying, hey, we might have to pull the plug. And then, you know, it goes back to that whole uh, reconciliation process that we've talked about a lot before, passing it without any Republican support. But would there be enough Democratic support to even do that? Uh, Senator Joe Manchin is always a key figure in these talks when we talk about doing that. That's a big question that is not answered yet. I mean, a lot of Democrats have said they would like to pull the plug and go at it alone. But, you know, I think Senator Manchin from West Virginia really wants something bipartisan to happen. He thinks that it's important for America to see Congress working together, getting something done together. And I think he's going to withhold his support for a Democrats only path as long as he thinks that there's some hope that Republicans can sign off on something. And so that's why I think we might see a situation where there's a bipartisan deal, but a very small one that gets everyone on board so they can say, look, Congress accomplished something. And then Democrats try to do the rest on their own without Republicans. There's so many angles to all of this. So one of the other big sticking points is what is the definition of infrastructure? You know, the White House and Senate Republicans are pretty far apart on all of this. The Republicans want to stick to that traditional stuff, uh, airports, roads, bridges, all that. And Democrats want to widen that definition. What what are they talking about when they talk about infrastructure in, in the broader sense? Because, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of stuff. You know, we need a high speed Internet access. I mean, that became critical throughout the pandemic. You couldn't do anything unless you uh, had some Internet at home. Broadband is a great example of a place where Democrats said we think broadband should be included in infrastructure. It's a utility, basically. It's how people access the world. And at first, Republicans were like, no. And then they came around and we saw in Thursday's proposal that they said, OK, you know, we're we're game to include broadband. We'll give you money for broadband. And I think important to remember, too, a lot of the places where there isn't access to broadband Internet are rural places, which tend to vote for Republicans. But there are some other examples of things Democrats have said they think should be considered infrastructure that they haven't gotten Republicans to come around to. One of those being universal child care, making it easy for people who couldn't otherwise afford child care to get access to it. And then elder care. You know, a lot of aging baby boomers, children being forced to sort of grapple with how to take care of their aging and ill parents and having more in-home care for the elderly was another piece that Democrats had wanted to be included in infrastructure, but Republicans weren't biting. Yeah, it seems like, you know, both sides do want to make a plan. These infrastructure projects are usually big wins for lawmakers when they can go back to their homes and say, look what we were getting done. So it, it seems like uh, they're still negotiating and we'll see how that progresses I did want to mention that Vice President Kamala Harris is also announcing some commitments from a dozen companies and organizations to invest in uh, Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, parts where we're seeing a lot of migrants coming over to the United States. She was put in charge of finding the root cause of what all this migration was by President Biden. And so they, they see that investments or, you know, they think that investments in these countries 
will help stem that flow. Yeah, you know, long have uh, there has been the theory that um, when migrants are coming from a certain part of the world, that if we could improve the economic conditions at home, they aren't going to want to leave home. They're going to want to stay where they are. And I think that's true for the most part. But we are grappling at the moment with how to fund that in more prosperous American times. We the American taxpayer paid for it. But I think the politics of that would have been really difficult, especially as we're, you know, disagreeing over whether or not broadband counts as an American infrastructure. So we saw Vice President Harris announcing that she would back this private-public partnership to have businesses, particularly American businesses, investing more in that part of Central America known as the Triangle to try to help improve the poverty and the violence that are there as sort of a broader approach to, to migration and, and the issues that the U.S. is seeing at the border. Last week, we saw President Biden call on the intelligence community to try to find some conclusion as far as uh, the, the origin of the COVID-19 uh, virus. China is not very happy with all of that. There's been a lot of news about it lately. You know, what can the intelligence community do without more cooperation from China? I, this feels like uh, one of those things we're not going to get an answer to. I mean, it is going to probably be something we're researching and talking about for uh, months, years to come, because you're right, China has not cooperated. And really from day one, China has not cooperated on trying to figure out where this virus came from, what caused it. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of talk about we can't find the point at which it jumped from animals to humans, which we've been able to do in past um, outbreaks. Well, part of that is because we also can't go investigate like we have in pa past outbreaks. So uh, I think we're really seeing the U.S. step up um, that pressure, step up that um, effort to figure out what happened. And I think that we're seeing a real moment where we're saying the answers that we've had so far are insufficient and more investigations are needed to get to the bottom of this. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Based on the uh, parts of the report that have been released, it's not clear if this upper respiratory virus that, that sickened many people in Wuhan, researchers who worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, if this was just COVID or if it was just any seasonal viral illness. Joining us now is Ken Delanian, national security correspondent at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Great to be with you. I want to talk about the latest uh, that we're hearing on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. For a long time, we had been hearing the prevailing theory of how the virus originated, came from bats, transferred to another animal, hopped on over to humans. But uh, there had always been this uh, theory that the virus might have leaked from a lab there in Wuhan, China. That's getting a little more play right now. We've seen a lot of things walked back from the Chinese government. We just saw a U.S. intelligence report that identified Three researchers at this Wuhan lab who sought treatment at a hospital after falling ill in November of 2019, symptoms that were similar to those that have COVID-19. So, Ken, help us walk through some of what we're hearing now. You know, I think you, you set it up really well by saying that it's getting more play now, because actually the facts on the ground have not changed much. But what, what's happened is, you know, you had the Trump administration uh, the China bashing, you know, hot rhetoric, Trump administration saying a lot of this stuff and it was discounted. It, often in many circles, it was discounted. But in fact, right from the beginning, my U.S. intelligence sources were very skeptical about the origins of this because they said to themselves, 
look, these coronaviruses come from bats that generally are in caves a thousand miles from Wuhan. But somehow this virus first arose in, in a human population in Wuhan, which just happens to be the center of biological research in China and just happens to be uh, the location of the only sort of high level lab where they're doing that, you know, really uh, you know, high end research where they wear the you know crazy suits that we've seen in the movies, and so uh, that's the circumstantial case, right? And then th- they saw that China was covering up, was obfuscating, and then when they asked for uh, data and and information about what was going on in the lab, um, they weren't getting it. And so now a lot of scientists initially discounted the notion that there could have been an. And we're, by the way, we're talking about an accidental release from the lab. No serious authority that I know alleges that this was somehow a bioweapon. The, the prevailing theory is that they were studying coronaviruses in this lab and that, you know, somebody may have gotten infected or some, in, in some way the virus escaped and got into the human population. Initially, the woman who runs the lab said, we're not working on, we weren't working on any coronavirus similar to COVID-19. And she also said that nobody from her lab got sick. Well, now we have this U.S. intelligence report that the Wall Street Journal first uh, reported on and that we we have confirmed that the U.S. government has identified through a, another foreign intelligence service, we're told, three researchers at the lab who sought hospital treatment for what is described as COVID-like symptoms, pneumonia-like symptoms. Now, we don't believe the U.S. government knows whether that was COVID. But what's interesting about it is if it's true, it contradicts what the head of that Wuhan Institute of Virology um, said. So it raises questions about her credibility. Um, it's, uh, so it's obviously not a smoking gun. It's one piece right. of circumstantial evidence. Then there's other pieces. There's, you know, the State Department put out a fact sheet in, in January. It was the Trump administration on the way out the door, so it didn't get as much attention. But it also alleged that uh, the Chinese military was doing secret experiments at that lab, which the, the lab folks have denied. Um, so what you're seeing is a lot of uh, scientists and people who had initially kind of um, downplayed the idea that there could have been an accidental release wanting to take another look at it. And also in part because a year and a half later, we, they have not been able to identify an animal to human vector. Right. That doesn't mean they never will, but they haven't so far after in a very intensive search. You know, China has not been credible throughout this whole thing. Unfortunately, you know, a team of researchers from the WHO went out to research. You know, all the reports that we saw was that they were very limited in the scope of what they could look into. Even some of the scientists that signed on to the letter saying this definitely came from an animal. Some of them are changing their tune. Everybody's just calling for more openness and more research into what's going on. That WHO situation was pretty disheartening because you had some very reputable scientists go over there for three days and they visited the lab, but they didn't really have access to firsthand information. They weren't able to interview researchers, uh, you know, independently. And they, and they emerged and said, not only did they say, we don't think we don't believe in the lab theory. They said it doesn't merit further investigation. Well, immediately the head of the WHO contradicted them because he has access presumably to some of the intelligence that the U S government has. And I'm sure phone calls were made and the U S government's position was, wait a second, we can't rule this out. I mean, we're not saying we, we can prove it or, or even that it's the leading theory. It's there are two essential theories that this virus, you know, naturally occurring transmitted from bats to an animal host to humans, like other SARS viruses have done. And we, or that there was this accidental lab theory and, and the U S government's position is, we are examining both possibilities and both merit investigation. And now you're right. You're seeing more, even Anthony Fauci, who initially 
really kind of poo-pooed the lab theory, recently has been saying, no, I'm not ruling that out at all. Now, the problem, though, my U.S. intelligence sources tell me is that at the end of the day, we may never know. If China continues to um, deny access to data and they've purged databases, they've, you know, they've, they've made it really difficult to get information, um, obviously the U.S. intelligence community is focusing resources on trying to find out. But even if they found, let's say the National Security Agency intercepted some what seemed like smoking gun emails, you know, proving that, in fact, the Chinese were talking about a lab leak, they would be concerned at this point that that's disinformation, that the Chinese were trying to you know, run an operation on them. So it's really going to be difficult to find ground truth in this now yeah. when we're having it's sort of a spy versus spy situation. Definitely. And now what's kind of coming into focus, they're looking at this Chinese mine where six miners, I guess, got sick. This is stemming back to April of 2012. Um, they were there. They were clearing that guanu from there. Uh, three of them died, but they all came down with this similar type of illness. Um, and they went back there. They took a bunch of samples from there. They were able to identify several new coronaviruses. And, and you know, so this is one of those sticking points. Genetically, everything points to SARS-CoV-2, the one that causes COVID-19, coming from animals, something of a natural evolution. And these new coronaviruses are all similar percentages of, of 60, 70 percent in some cases similar to SARS-CoV-2, but they're not exactly the same. Uh, but but just as we've been talking, everything just kind of comes together. And now people are focused on this. There's not enough information about that incident now. And people want to know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, the mine that you referred to, you know, where these miners got sick, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was called in to investigate that situation and they took samples. And so, and this was, by the way, this wasn't the only these were the only they, they, samples they were taking. They were they made a habit of going into caves and places where bats were to find SARS uh, SARS viruses because they were studying those and they brought them back to the lab. And and they the problem is we don't know. They have they've said we didn't have a virus that was close to um, to COVID-19. But um, we don't know that because we don't the U.S. government hasn't had access to the data. To, um, they haven't been able to interview the researchers. They haven't seen lab notes, the kind of things that a normal investigation would call for. And so um, it's really interesting that, that that this lab was studying these viruses that are so close to COVID-19. And in fact, they were also doing what's known as gain of function experiments, which makes the viruses more contagious and more able uh, to infect humans. Those are controversial. Some scientists think, you know, that those shouldn't be done because they're dangerous. They were working on it. And, and by the way, they're not doing this again. They weren't doing this uh, as for some kind of uh, bioweapon. As far as we know, they were, they were doing this to try to learn about coronaviruses to, you know, to, to develop vaccines and prevent them from spreading. But if there was an accident, the, the world needs to know that because it, it has implications for how we would respond, how we understand this pandemic and, and certainly should be a warning to China that it needs to get its house in order in terms of its lab uh, safety and security. Ken Delanian, national security correspondent at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Oscar. Great to be with you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright 
and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.